Welcome to the Fit Aviators Club podcast, where aviation, fitness, and mindset meet to improve the balance of your health and quality of life in aviation. This is your host, Fernando Contreras, and let's get to it. On today's episode, I get to chat with Pietro Marsala. He is the first pilot to obtain a first-class medical approved to take insulin to treat his type 1 diabetic condition. This story had me on the edge of my seat the whole time, and the determination of him and the FAA working together to make this a possibility is beyond great. This story is full of emotion, full of discipline, full of perseverance. I think you will greatly enjoy it as much as I did. But before we get started with the episode, this one is brought to you by Airfare Pouch. If you're looking for healthy snacks on the go, Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses all over North America. There's a reason why hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they're healthy, unique, and perfect for keeping you feeling great on the line in the flight deck and sitting on the jump seat or in the plane. Look, Jess and I just took a trip, a hiking trip to the Balkans, and we had airfare pouches with us, and they came so in handy. We knew what we were putting in our body. We knew it was healthy stuff. They satisfied our hunger and kept us going through all those hikes. Unbelievably amazing. I absolutely love airfare pouch. If you are going to get airfare pouch, go on airfarepouch.com. Listeners get 50% off their order by using code FITAVIATORSCLUB. Today's episode is also brought to you by a unique apparel company called Fly Gear Apparel. Let me introduce you to Ross Whitman. He is a father and a husband and an aviation professional with over 11,000 hours of flight time in the 737 and King Air. Flying mostly Part 121 and Medivac, he is also the first Canadian to have acquired a COVID-19 vaccine injury certified by the federal government. Before this happened, Ross used to be in shape and was able to take care of his health and fitness routine on the go and at home. But now Ross must continue to live with a serious lasting effect from Aguillain-Barr syndrome, which is a serious neurological condition that left him temporarily paralyzed. He lost over 40 pounds of lean body mass, and it has severely affected the use of his hands and feet. But that won't let him stop him from finding his wings again and his new apparel company in Lake Country, British Columbia. Fly Gear Apparel is more than just stylish, high-quality hats and t-shirts. Fly Gear Apparel represents a choice to make the best of your situation and find your wings no matter what life hands at you. Shop Fly Gear Apparel at flygear.ca. Hey, Pietro Marsala, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be on the podcast today. I'm super excited to get to know you a little bit more, share your story, and also just share to the world the amazing things that you have done. So thank you so much for being on today's episode. Thanks, Fernando. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of, of uh, the story and, and about you, I kind of want to know Pietro Marsala. That sounds like a, uh, a, a name from somewhere in Europe. Can you tell me where you're from, where your descent is from? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I'm American. My parents are, uh, my parents are Italian immigrants. And so they gave me the challenging name. Uh, and this is a name that was uh, given to my grandfather. And so as tradition, uh, traditional Italians, they passed on to their kids, uh, the names of their, uh, their father. And so, uh, yeah, my parents are Italian immigrants, like I said, and, uh, you know, I was born in Chicago though. And I live in, uh, I live in Phoenix. Okay, cool, man. You, you must like the heat, dude. Cause Phoenix is hot out there, man. <laughs> 
It's way too hot. I don't know, man. Miami's just as hot. The humidity makes it even hotter. <laughs> I don't know. That dry heat, you know, it's kind of like, I can't get used to it. It's funny because people from Miami will always be like, yo, that heat over there, it's way too much. And the people from Arizona say it's different. So um, it's just, yeah, it's just it's funny just, how it, it goes. Different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what part of Italy specifically, and have you gone there to visit? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I have gone back to visit my, uh, like I said, my parents are immigrants. So most of my family still lives there. Their families are both there and they're, they're, uh, they're both on each side are one of five kids. And so you can imagine I have a lot of cousins and a lot of aunts and uncles and whatnot. And so, uh, when I was a kid, I'd go back frequently. Um, I'd spend my summers there. My parents would take us. I was pretty fortunate. My parents would, you know, take us to and from Italy and we'd spend six to seven weeks there, so, wow. uh, you know, a year. And they're, uh, yeah, they're from the south. They're from Palermo, uh, Sicily, the island. Okay. Oh, wow. That's really cool. That's the one area in Italy that Jess and I would, would love to go visit next. Uh, it's it's beautiful over there, man. There's so many things to do in Italy. And like, if you went for six to seven weeks, I mean, you really get to know a lot of the culture in that, in that amount of time, no? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, growing up, my parents spoke Italian at home, and I didn't learn English, actually, until I, I went to school, until I went to kindergarten. Um, just because my parents had broken English and so they would speak Italian at home and then we'd go to school and learn the Italian. But I mean, going to Italy and spending those six, seven weeks there with your cousins. And if you didn't speak the native language, obviously you were going to struggle for six, seven <laughs> weeks, pretty much being mute. <laughs> I bet. So, I bet. You were forced into it. You had to learn Italian, man. Yeah. Like it or not, here it came. Do you still speak it? You still fluent? Yeah. 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 Still fluent. Oh, my parents really are, cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I grew up speaking it. And so we never really lost it. We, uh, we uh we went back frequently like i said and so just keeping in touch and my parents always had italian tv on and so you couldn't really get away from it but i'm definitely thankful to have learned a second language i mean it's definitely come in handy nice 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 so i have two questions for you first one is do you follow soccer and what's your favorite team in, in italy <laughs> yeah i do follow soccer i'm a diehard um uh ac milan milan is uh is my is my team so yeah so i grew up watching them you know it's funny my brothers are um a little bit more americanized i'll say it mm -hmm. they uh they're more into like the american sports and you know and american football and stuff and i kind of follow my dad's tracks with with soccer and so i i grew up watching them and yeah i, I try to catch every game obviously with this career it's not easy right. anymore but yeah uh, yeah phone goes on silent notifications <laughs> off and then get to the hotel and watch the game there you go nice <laughs> so, nice nice and yeah. okay the second question is italy man it's uh so many natural so much talent in motorcycle racing you know, do you follow uh, MotoGP at all? Are you a Valentino Rossi fan? No, I'm not a Valentino Rossi fan. Um, not that I, oh. I dislike him. Uh, I just don't follow MotoGP closely, honestly. I, I like racing. I just don't follow like I do religiously with soccer. Um, but I know it's a huge – F1 in Italy is huge, and so is MotoGP. My cousins are all into it, but I, I kind of just stick to Milan. That's my thing. Yeah, dude, I, I went to Italy a couple of months ago, and, and we were uh, – Valentino Rossi retired last year. Right, yeah, dude. Every, like, I mean, there's so many people with their sports bikes out in Italy. It's just like a, a normal yep. thing, and so many of them uh -huh. wear the number 46. You know, kind of representing. Six. Yeah. It's sick, man. I think that's really, really cool. Um, he is obviously a legend in the MotoGP. Big deal. It's it's amazing, incredible. Hopefully, I get to meet him one day. But um, but yeah. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So let's let's talk a little bit more about you. I, I'd love to know how you came to be uh, an airline pilot. I know it's always been a dream of yours, but you had a major obstacle get in the way. And I want to sh for you to share how you overcame that obstacle, what the obstacle was, and the the, the true power of following your dreams and and that dedication that it took you to get there. Yeah, it's it's been a long journey for now. Um, I uh, 
I'm a type one diabetic. And so uh, up to a few years ago, what that meant was that I could not be an airline pilot uh, simply because the way the rules and regulations were put in place with the FAA. Um, they stated that anybody that was an insulin dependent diabetic was not allowed to carry a first class medical period, no matter how controlled you were um, or are, it didn't matter. What mattered is, is that you took insulin and they viewed that as a disqualifying drug. Um, and so, you know, I uh, obviously had this dream of becoming an airline pilot. I'm sure much like yourself uh, growing up as a kid, um, like I said, going to and from Italy, being around airplanes and airports, it kind of just sparked my interest from a young age. Um, and so I was uh, 18 um, and I decided to start flight training. Um, I uh, was in my commercial flight training at the time. I think it was my commercial multi-engine training. And I was 21 years old at the time um, when I was doing this. And I started to feel a little bit off. I started to not feel well. And what wow. I mean by that is I'd lost 10 pounds in a week. I had been uh, always thirsty. I was, you know, I was feeling really fatigued, waking up multiple times in the middle of the night to urinate. And it was just uh, very unlike me. I was somebody who slept through the night comfortably. Um, and again, at 21 years old, so I knew yeah. something was up, but I never imagined it could be diabetes. Well, I, I spoke to my mom and I said, hey, let's go see a doctor. And she agreed. And so we went to see our family physician. Uh, he looks at me and he says, well, these are the symptoms of type two diabetes. And I was like, I, first of all, I didn't know there were two types of diabetes. I didn't know there was type one or type two or what the difference was to me. Diabetes was just something that happened to people that got older that didn't take care of themselves. My grandparents had it in their older age. And I just saw them, you know, prick their finger, draw some blood occasionally. Um, and get a blood sugar ring, but I didn't know. I just thought it was something that people got if they didn't take care of, take care of their health. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been an athlete my whole life. I'm young. I'm 21 years old. What do you mean diabetes? This is something that happens later. Um, and so he goes, I'm going to run some blood work on you to confirm if it is diabetes or not. And so I said, okay. So he comes back a few days later, he calls me back into the office and he confirms that it's type two diabetes. And so um, wow. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Diabetes at 21. And so by that point I had figured out that, you know, if it's the one that I don't need to take insulin for, that I can continue flying and continue pursuing my, my dream of becoming an airline pilot. So obviously I was crushed at 21 to hear that, but I knew that it wasn't career, career ending at, at least, you know. And so they decided that they needed to get me to stabilize my blood sugars and bring me on insulin immediately to stabilize my blood sugar. And so I had lost my medical because I had to go on the insulin, right? I had a first class medical unrestricted. And so my goal was to get a first class medical with a special issuance to allow myself to fly on insulin as a type two or off insulin as a type two diabetic. Well, two months into um, you know, the insulin treatment, I'd leaned off the insulin. I'd worked really hard with diet and exercise. I was told that if I watch my diet, I eat low carb and um, I, you know, exercise frequently that I can lean off the insulin and I can stabilize on oral medication only. Um, and so I was obviously motivated and, and dedicated to doing that. And so I dedicated, started dedicating my life to the gym, dedicating my life to eating healthy, you know, and not that I ate unhealthy before, but I just wasn't health conscious. I wasn't watching what I ate necessarily. Um, and so I, I really was watching closely and uh, motivated wow. myself. I got off the insulin within two months. I showed the FA six additional months of stabilization on the meds, uh, on the oral medication, got my first class medical back. Life was good again. You know, I was just, okay, here, here am I at 21, you know, I have diabetes. It's unfortunate, but I can manage with diet and exercise and, and I can do this. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty disciplined person as it is. And so I was like, you know, I can do this. So after about eight months from the original diagnosis in January, this is now probably September of 2012. Uh, I started feeling off again, similar symptoms that I, that I had felt before. Well, I go to the, uh, I go to, uh, my, my mom says, Hey, let's go get a second opinion. Let's go get, let's go see an endocrinologist. And so I did, I went to see a blood specialist to get a second opinion because I was feeling off again. And he looks at me and he says, well, these are the symptoms or these are the, you, you don't fit the bill of a type 
two diabetic is what he told me literally word for word. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, first of all, you're lean and you're young. He goes, that's typically what we see with type one diabetics. Yeah. And I heard, heard that scary word type one diabetic. I'm like, no, 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 no. I can't be a, I can't be a type one diabetic. I'm a pilot. I can't take insulin. And I knew that type one diabetes meant that you had to take insulin. And so for those of you out there that are listening that maybe aren't familiar with diabetes, there's two types. And basically the easiest way I can explain this is that if you're a type two diabetic, you may or may not need insulin. Whereas if you're a type one diabetic, you simply need insulin period. Um, and again, insulin being the disqualifying drug here, you know, to carry our medicals as pilots that we couldn't have, you know, we couldn't be on insulin. Um, so I knew that if he diagnosed me with type one diabetes, that was it. My careers and my dreams were over. And that's a, that's a, that's a chronic illness. And that's a, you know, that's a, a life sentence in other words, to not flying. So, uh, he comes back, he says, let's run some blood work. He does that. And it's type one diabetes. Um, so he, he obviously crushed my dreams and, you know, I had told him before, Hey, look, you know, I'm, I don't want, I can't be type one diabetic. And he says, well, let's worry about your, your health first and not your career. And so obviously, I mean, as a 21 year old kid, that's not what you want to hear, but I mean, that's, that's, what's obviously more important. So that was crushing for me. That was even more crushing than the, than the initial diagnosis of, uh, of type, of type, uh, type two diabetes. So he starts me on insulin immediately. I stabilize my blood sugars and my parents are like, okay, well, you've been home six months now. You're stabilizing You're, you know, what do you want to do with your life? You know, do you want to stop flying? Do you want to pursue something else since you can't, you know, live your dream as an airline pilot? And I said, you know what? I want to finish school. I was in the middle of my commercial training. I want to finish that. I want to get my CFI and become an instructor. And if I can't live my dream as an airline pilot, I want to help others live theirs um, is the mindset I had. Um, yeah, that's a huge question to ask. It's like at, at that point, I mean, you probably have so many things going on, uh, at once and to, and to kind of choose what to do there is, is, I feel like it's so hard, but yeah, it's amazing. it was, I had six months to think about it. And then of course at 21, you have no idea what's going on in the world. You think, you know, Yeah, man. but I mean, yeah. <laughs> we've all been there, but yeah, it's, um, it was a tough choice to make, but I decided, you know, I'm going to continue flying. I'm just going to see where this leads me. If I don't like it, I'll do something else with my life. Um, so I went back, right. got my CFI and this is kind of where it started to dawn on me. I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I'm two years into instructing at this point, it's 2016. And I'm like, okay, what is going on? So like, I'm like, the FA will allow me to sit with a student pilot and fly an airplane. Yet that student pilot may or may not have any flight time, no experience. And they're worried about right. me passing out, but yet, you know, on, on insulin, obviously the, the, the risk for those of you, again, that don't know is hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. And if you're well-controlled, you don't have this happen. I've never had this happen to me or even come close, but you know, the risk is if you, uh, if you take too much insulin, you can go too low and you can pass out from it is the, is the risk. Right. Um, and so my question was, why is the FA allowing me to sit with a student pilot who may not know how to fly? And if something happens to me, that pilot's going to have to bring this airplane down, but yet they won't let me sit in a 121 setting with another professional like yourself. Um, who's already qualified and knows how to fly. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 You got it. And so it kind of dawned on me. That's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of strange the way the rules are written. And so I started doing my homework and figuring out that nobody had been approved on insulin period. There had been some of that have, have tried and have come up short. Um, but nobody had been had proven that it was safe to do. And here's me doing this two to four flights a day for thousands of hours already, you know, within those couple of years of flight instructing, yeah. showing that this can be done safely. And I'm like, the FA needs to see this and I need to figure out how to get in the door to show them this, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. It's kind of the mindset I had. Um, and so uh, it's 2016 and it's in the summer and I'm with an ex-girlfriend at the time. We're walking around Washington, DC and we come across the FA's building and she goes, well, why don't you go in there and talk to them? And I said, are you kidding? No way. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. I'm not going to go in there and speak to them. And I was like, I want to do this eventually, but I'm not quite ready. 
yeah. So, um, so I, I went in there. I did, and then there's the Department of Transportation on one side, the FAA on the other. I walk in. There's a, uh, you know, a guard there at the door, standing, and uh, he looks at me and he says, "Hey, um, you know, uh, you need an appointment to go anywhere." Essentially, when I said, "Hi, is, is you know, Doctor Duvall here, who's the FAA, the Deputy Air Surgeon for the in Washington D.C. for the FAA in aerospace men," and he goes, "Who?" He goes, "You're going to need an appointment to go anywhere," and so. I left. She goes, how'd it go? I was like, yeah, well, obviously it didn't go well. I'm, I'm back here right away. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to fire off an email, very basic to the point. Hi, Dr. Ball. This is Pietro Marsala. I'm out of Phoenix. Um, I'm a flight instructor. I'd like to talk to you about my case. I'm on a third class medical uh, for type one diabetes. And I was like, he's not going to respond to me. Sure as heck. Two hours later, we're at dinner and he responds to me and says, Pietro, I'd love to meet you. Why don't you come by tomorrow at 12? And I'm like, wow, you gotta be kidding. I can't believe my luck. So got myself wear pants. You wore pants yeah, the next day, right? Yeah, pants. Exactly. <laughs> I got myself some clothes and a nice shirt went up there. there <laughs> yeah, same deal. And uh, I get there, same guard. You have an appointment? Yep, got an appointment. Great. Come this way. In the meantime, I get a call from Dr. Duvall and he says he's coming to get me and he's upstairs. Well, this becomes instrumental what I'm going to tell you because I end up saving his number. And what I mean by that is because most government officials when they call you, it's from an unknown or an unrestricted number, but he called me from his desk line. And so I was able to save it and, I, and it becomes instrumental again in what I'm going to tell you. Um, and so brings me upstairs and says, Hey, look, I don't have much time for you, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. And we're, you know, we're, uh, we're a few minutes into this conversation. He's like, yeah, we, you know, um, you know, he starts, I start asking him questions. Um, and needless to say, we were there two hours, mind you. He said, he started with, we don't have a lot of time. And then we were there two hours wow. talking about this. So I knew I had sparked his interest. Basically the questions I was asking him were head scratchers. Why is it that the FAA allow me to fly with a student pilot and not in a 121 setting? And he kind of gave me the answers, you know, that can government responses honestly like um you know i wasn't here when we made the rule blah 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 um and then i asked yeah. him some other hard questions like hey can i not maybe i can't how about issuing a medical on the premises that i can't act as pic or i can't uh i have to act in a multi-crew environment only and he basically turned me down and said no unfortunately if we if we issue you a special issuance medical it has to be um issued the same way we issue it to everybody else in the sense we can't put these limitations on you you have to be able to act um just like everybody else does with the special issuance and so, okay, I was like, all right, well, my last, my last point that I wanted to make was, okay, I use a continuous glucose monitor. I guess I could show you what it looks like. Um, so this is a continuous glucose monitor, and oh, this wow. allows me to read my blood sugar every five minutes of my life without testing my, my glucose values. And so okay. basically, it's really simple. It's a three-component system. It's a sensor that I wear on my arm, as you just saw. That gray piece is the transmitter. And this transmitter emits a signal to my phone via Bluetooth, and it gives an, an update every five minutes of where my blood sugar is. Wow. And more importantly, not just where it is, but where it's heading and the trend at which it's moving. And so I use this technology to be proactive in my management. In other words, um, I can predict myself from going high or going low, especially while I fly, so that I can manage myself in a safe, healthy range. And I was explaining to this surgeon who might have studied medicine maybe in the 60s or 70s. And, uh, you know, with all due respect to him, a lot of technology has changed quite a bit over the years and, and so has insulin. And so here's me essentially trying to sell this, the surgeon on, Hey, this is what I use to stay safe. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to leave him with data. He didn't want any of it in the beginning. He just said, no, no, um, that's okay. He goes, go ahead and we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch. And he goes, I think you're onto something here is kind of the way we left that conversation in June, 2016. Well, I decided based on me having his number, I was going to poke the bear you know, once a month, once every other month and just call him and see if he answers. And I kid you guys not, he would answer me probably 80% of the time. And if he didn't answer me, he would call me back same business day if I left the voicemail, which was obviously, you know, a, a great relationship I developed with, you know, with this, with this individual. Yeah. And he was, he was a really, really nice guy. Um, so we would go back and forth. We talked quite a bit. 
Um, and I poke the bear once a month. Hey, Dr. Ball, how's it going? This is Pietro Marsal. I'm out of Phoenix. I just wanted to, you know, check in to see if anything has changed. No, nothing's changed. Um, we're working on something, but we're not quite there yet. And he would share things like, I think you're going to be the first um, because nobody's been able to supply us with this amount of data to show that it's safe to do. And I was like, look, I, first or last, it's not my goal. I just want there to be a change in regulation so that especially kids growing up with diabetes aren't, you know, turned away and they're not, their, their dreams aren't crushed, you know, simply because they take insulin. I think they could also use this as an incentive to take good care of their health from, from the young age, if this is something that they want to do. So we went back and forth for three and a half years. Anyways, um, I, yeah, so Halloween 2019 rolls around and a friend sends me an article from the, from uh, CNN, I think it was, that released this article. And it said that the FA was now going to allow insulin treated diabetic pilots to carry first class medicals and fly commercial jets. And so I was, obviously I was thrilled by the, seeing that, that, you know, and um, I called Dr. Ball up on the phone a few minutes later and I said, Dr. Ball, is this true? And he says, yes, it is. It'll be in the federal registry as of November 7th, 2019. So a week later. And um, so he says, go see a cardiologist, get an EKG, uh, go see an ophthalmologist, get your eyes checked, go to a, an endocrinologist and um, go get a comprehensive blood panel done. Um, and make sure that, you know, everything checks out still. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I've given you eight years worth of data. The FAA has like, how much more do you guys need? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously that was the least I could have done. I was thrilled to even have that opportunity finally to do that. And so he yeah. says, send me all this before the new year in 2019. So I did, well, 2020 rolls around, still no medical. And, you know, I'd called uh, Envoy, my current employer, and I, I reached out to them and I said, hey, look, I might be getting a medical very soon here. And they said, okay, great. Let us know. We'll interview you as soon as you get it. And I was like, okay, awesome. Um, well, March comes, we all know what happens in March, 2020, there's a pandemic, nobody's hiring, they're, they're on a training freeze, they're, they're furloughing, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, the FA is going to close, this is the end of my case, all this work that I'd put in for all these years is going to go bye-bye, and they're going to lose my, they're going to lose my, my data, my case, everything's going to be shut down, right? Well, two weeks after that, in, in the middle of April, uh, it was April 13th, 2020, I'm driving around, um, and my smartwatch goes off, and I'm with my girlfriend, and she says, hey, um, you need, you're too excited. Cause I saw the email that came in. It was the FAA. And she says, Hey, pull over. You're way too excited to be driving right now. Um, so I did I pull over to the side of the road. I opened this email up and it's the FAA's email. And I knew it was a special insurance medical. It had a password to get into it. And I scrolled to the bottom of this, uh, this email. I don't even read the special insurance letter, the special yeah. insurance letter. Yeah. <laughs> didn't mean anything to me at the moment. I mean, we all know that these special insurance letters are important. Obviously they tell you how to retain the medical, right. how to, you know, keep yourself in good standing. And I just scrolled to the bottom of this email immediately and uh, see my name on it with first class medical. And I was just obviously overwhelmed with emotions, just all this work that I'd put in after eight years um, from the initial diagnosis to see my name on a first class medical again, just meant the world to me. And it was to this day, the best day of my life. Well, I don't even give myself a chance to gather my emotions. And a minute later, I'm on the phone with him, uh, Dr. Ball, that is, you know, I didn't even call my family, I called him first. And so I, I call him up and I just wanted to thank him, you know, for giving me this opportunity, um, you know, to prove myself and to listen to basically what I was sharing with him over the years. Um, and he stated that, um, you know, congratulations to you because you're officially the first uh, type one diabetic pilot that we've certified on insulin uh, to carry first class medical. You're the first medical I sent out as word for word what he said. Um, and so congratulations to you because without this, you know, voluntary submission of data, this amount of data that we have, this may have never been able to be possible. So congratulations to you and your hard work. And I said, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much that means to me. You know, like I said, it was never my first, my goal to be the first or last. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I just wanted to see a change for others that can benefit from this as well. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I got to. And, you know, now I'm employed as an airline pilot, living my dream and uh, life's good again. It was a longer journey than I wanted, but, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. It was, it was something that needed to be done. And I'm so happy to 
you know, have, have played my part. It's such an inspiring story. And what you went through for all those years, I mean, the consistency, the discipline, the, the wanting to just make your dreams a reality is truly remarkable in what you did, not just for yourself, but for everybody now who's, who's going to be able to obtain a first-class medical with, with this condition. But very important to put, point out, it's that you were the first pilot to have a first-class medical issued based on insulin consumption, right? Like you need a certain, a certain amount of insulin. If I'm sure there's, uh, there's like a, a tolerance on amount of, if that amount of insulin doesn't work for you at all, they probably can't issue you a first-class medical, right? So it has to be a certain amount. Yeah. So for those listening out there that are interested in, in a first-class medical that are on insulin, um, so I direct everybody that reaches out to me to the FA's website. They have a guide on their website that, that you follow, and there's certain parameters that you have to fall in. And if you just go to Google, honestly, and type in FAA space ITDM, insulin-treated diabetes mellitus, it'll uh, it'll lead you to a link. And it's basically the guide that the examiners follow, your, your aviation medical examiner, your AME would follow in order to uh, make sure that you get qualified. And so you can see basically everything that the FAA requires and if you would qualify pretty much prior to sending your data in. And so that's why I recommend everybody going to that's interested in, in you know, this new change in protocol. So um, yeah, certain people obviously don't fall within those parameters and certain people do. And, and that's why they have that bar set. And so, you know, for those that maybe are a little bit outside of that, of those parameters, you know, keep working towards it because obviously that's an obtainable goal. If I did it, you know, others could do it as well. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing, man. Thank, thank God for, for this new technology now that allows you to have such close monitoring and trend, you know, that the trend is, is incredible because you, you are going to have a heads up on what's going to come out, you know, if, if you're, right. you're going to need a certain amount of insulin or not. So with the amount of time and effort that you put in, there's, there's so much more that's going to be given out to, to so many people who are, who are wanting to do this. And let's say, for example, somebody who, who does have this condition of either type one or type two, they should probably try to get a first class medical before, or maybe as they're starting flight school, right? You don't want, I mean, if you're trying to pursue an airline career, let's say, I mean, you can still fly for fun and get your stuff if you want, but you kind of want to have this much of a heads up early on in your career because they're, Further on in, in, in the future, there may be more technology that might be able to, if you're outside of that insulin parameter, that may bring you back into those parameters, you know, as technology progresses. Would you recommend that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny you say that. That is a, such a common question that I get. I have people reach out to me, parents or, or, or individuals in general, just reach out to me on the weekly. And that, that's probably, probably say probably 20, 30% of the questions that I get are related to that. Um, you know, Hey, I don't have any medical yet. Should I try getting a third class first? I want to start flight training. Maybe I should go the easier route just so I can get started on flight training. And, and truthfully, everybody's situation is a little bit different. And so I, I don't like to steer people in one way or the other. My personal advice, um, would be to, I, I, from, this is for me, I would want to know if I can be an airline pilot prior to dumping a hundred thousand dollars in training. Right. So if I can't get a first class medical now, I would want to know in advance. That's just personally me, but some people are like, Hey, I think I'm going to be able to get the first class. I just want to start flight training and get ahead of myself, get my flight time up, get my experience up. And then once I need to renew, maybe shoot for a first class, which is totally fair. And I understand everybody's situation is a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tell most people that this is personally what I would do. I would want to shoot for the stars here, try to try to get a first class first, see where you fall and then go from there. But again, if it's going to delay your flight training too much, I mean, because there is a delay, this process isn't, you know, an overnight process. It takes a little bit. The FA, you know, as we all know, sometimes isn't the fastest. And so things take a little bit of time. Um, 
with, uh, with them. And so once you submit your data, you could be waiting six months, eight months. I've heard people wait up to a year. I mean, it just, it just depends on your situation. Everybody's case is, is a bit different. In your case in particular, though, you already had a first class medical, right? And then you had the diagnosis of, of the diabetes. So your case was you already had it. It got taken off. And then you, you went through the journey to go to go get it um, reestablished. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they had data on me prior to that. Yeah. Okay. They did. I see. I see. I see. And yeah. this technology that you have now, it's pretty, pretty common, right? Like it's, it's not hard to get that, that glucose monitor that you have. And with all that data processing is, is uh, pretty common to get. Yeah. So this was, this, I didn't spend enough time when I was talking about the story on this, but I really want to emphasize that this was the game changer. Um, this is, uh, this is what it's going to take. And so the FA was never really able to see, you know, monitor diabetics this closely because, you know, you prick your finger once every, you know, maybe once, uh, I would say five times a day, four times a day, typically a diabetic would prick yeah. their fingers. Those finger sticks that you, you use are, they're quite expensive even with insurance. And so the amount of data that this is able to show the FA, this continuous glucose monitor, they can really track and it's not hard to see who's controlled and who's not controlled. So um, this is the game changer. This was what the protocol is based off of. And if you want to get a first class medical on insulin, you have to wear one of these. It's part of the requirement and we, that we all agreed on when we were, when we were, uh, when they were developing this, we were talking about it, um, which I completely yeah. agreed with. I think I agree with the FA here. I think that's, right. that's absolutely necessary. Um, to fly commercially, to fly for an airline and carry the general public around. This is the game changer. This, this, this is the way we, we stay safe. Yeah. That, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. And, and I think a, a lot of things here in, in, in the story that you, sh you just shared, you know, sometimes it takes a certain individual to believe in something or someone. And I just go to, to say this, that even you as a person, you don't have to be the director of, you know, the, the flight surgeon department of the FAA. You don't have to be the CEO of something. You don't have to be you could just be any, any person and just know that you have the power to that. If you believe in someone or something, you may be able to change somebody's life drastically. I do that every day when I'm either at the gym or I'm trying to help somebody change their life with health and fitness, you know, or, or, you know, uh, pushing somebody towards their goal. This doctor, Dr. Duvall, he believed in you. He gave the chance for this to happen. And he, you know, made this happen and, and, and for you to be able to have this and, and for everybody else who, who is upcoming to be able to have this opportunity. I just, I think it's a, I want to have a special message sent to him, you know, saying that that's, you never really know how important it is, no matter how little it could be that you can impact somebody's life, but just believing in them. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, without him believing in this, I mean, cause there's, I'm sure there were people there that maybe didn't believe this was possible. And he gave me a chance. He right. gave me the time right. of day to listen to me to, you know, go over the data with me on the phone for the course of those three and a half years that we were chatting, um, you know, for him to believe in me and to trust me and to watch me develop, you know, all these flights that I was doing for two to four flights a day for 5,000 hours of flight instruction time is what I did, you know, to show him this, this amount of, of data and, and, and to volunteer that data and for him to take me seriously and give me the time of day. Cause he didn't need to do that. Let's be real. He didn't, he didn't have to do that. He did it out of the kindness of his heart and, he saw what I saw. We had the same vision yeah. and I can tell that he believed in what I was saying. And not only did he believe it, I was, I was providing the data to, to, to be, I mean, he had to believe it. It was the data was there. Right. <laughs> so he knew that it was safe to do based on what I was providing, but I'm thankful and, and eternally grateful that he 
gave me that opportunity to prove myself. Yeah. I mean, I, dude, anything with data, you know, it's, it's the only way to prove something. I had a, a college professor and I was taking uh, statistical thinking and he said, well, it's like, this is the first day of class. He was like, you know, the dollar bill, how it says in God, we trust Well, in this class it's in data. We trust without data. You ain't getting nothing. <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's so true i think that's one of the biggest statements that i've heard in college that applies to real life and i have i've applied it to so many things in in life but it's awesome that you were able to get all that data track it everything that was being able to be at your disposal to be able to provide this information for him and the faa that's that's truly remarkable and thank you so much for sharing that man i think it's uh i think it's a very inspiring story not just to hear but for everybody else who is going to hear this this uh, episode, and you know, re- regarding that, I want to get more into your mindset. I think it's truly remarkable that you pushed through all those years with that. And I just want to dig in, pick your brain a little bit about what your mindset is and how you were able to overcome all those all those obstacles. Because I know at some point you you made this story flow very very smooth, but I know at some points there were there were times where the stuff got really, really hard. You know, you probably felt really down and just to get that courage to come back up and continue is, is totally amazing. Thanks Fernando. That, uh, that means a lot to me coming from, you know, someone like you who dedicates their life, you know, helping others achieve their goals and whatnot. And so I, I I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Thank you, man. I I appreciate that too. So I really want to get to, you know, you are the first pilot to have approved first class medical with insulin now, now your life and also your career depends on a huge amount on nutrition and fitness how do you carry nutrition and fitness as part of your lifestyle now that you are in the airlines yeah so i mean obviously as you know and as others know that do this job that it's it's not easy there's not a lot of routine you know i was used to working essentially a nine to five as a flight instructor i mean not necessarily but you know pretty close to a set schedule um, and so I, my routine back then was basically just get off work, go to the gym, eat, try not to eat too late. And so essentially, and, and now that routine has been completely, uh, you know, thrown off, um, you know, being a, being an airline pilot, as we know that there's, there's not much routine in our schedules, right? We, one, one week, you know, we're working nights, one week we're working mornings, one week we're, you know, flying all kinds of various, various hours throughout the day. Um, and so it has, it has been a, an, a, an adjustment for me. Um, and in the beginning, it was, a, to be honest, it was a bit frustrating just because I was so used to routine and I was so used to having structure and, you know, how I do my meals and how I do my, you know, being at home, you can't eat on the road like you do at home necessarily. You don't have all the tools there for you. And so you got to get creative to make right. things work. I mean, you know, better than anybody. Um, and so you're very limited with what you have on the road and you've got to make the most of it. And then adding to that dynamic, I have type one diabetes. And so it's not just, Hey, I want to stay healthy. Hey, I want to be fit. Hey, I want to live a good lifestyle. It's I've got the FA watching every move I make. I need to make sure that, you know, my levels are still within good, uh, good standing with them and making sure obviously that my health is you know my top priority. Um, so yeah, so things have changed quite a bit. Um, getting on the road, um, trying to make sure that, you know, and especially with these, some of these hotel gyms and then we've all stayed at hotels and sometimes the gyms are not, you know, what we have at home again, you know, you lose some of that flexibility. Yeah. Um, and so just trying to make the most of the cardio, trying to make the most of what you have at your disposal, um, to me is, is something that's been a challenge, but I'm learning to adapt. Um, and I'm learning to find out, you know, based on where I'm going on that trip, what hotels they have, what gyms they have, 
um, and just trying to get some sort of fitness in while I'm on the road and, and setting realistic goals has been, always been my my thing in life, you know, set an obtainable goal that you can obtain. Don't be unrealistic. Don't say, you know, you have a 5 a.m. van every day and you're going to you're going to work out at 9 p.m. every night. That's not realistic. And I'm not going to meet those goals and I'm right. just going to disappoint myself. Um, so, you know, if I'm on a four day trip, try to exercise two of those days. And then when I get home, you know, try to do more of that. That's excellent. That's really, really good. That, do you do you like this is part of your lifestyle. Do you ever feel that there might be too much pressure that makes the lifestyle be too like uh, how do i say it? that that makes it not not enjoyable because the faa is watching yeah that's a good question i mean obviously i wish i didn't have to deal with diabetes i mean i wish that wasn't part of the equation i wish i could just eat at you know nine o'clock at night and go straight to sleep but i have to watch my blood sugars and you know i have to eat at certain times to make sure that you know things are good while i'm going to sleep and to answer your question do i um, does it add some to it, some pressure to me? Absolutely. It does to be completely honest. Yeah. It adds pressure to yeah. me, unfortunately, um, to perform, but I mean, it, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because yes, I have diabetes and yes, I wish I didn't have it, but it kind of is, is used as an incentive to take good care of your health. Um, it's kind of a Mediterranean diet. I know we're going to get into that stuff, but, um, you know, it, it's a good, yeah. even though I wish I didn't have the pressure that my health relied on my, you know, my job as we all do as pilots, but even more mm -hmm. so for myself, because how closely they're watching, but, um, you know, it's a, like I said, it's a good incentive to take care of your health. And sometimes it's like, yes, I wish I didn't have it, but I also am glad in a way because it really makes me watch things closely and in, in the long run, that's going to pay off. Yeah. And I was going to get into nutrition right now, but you brought up a really good point, which was going to be a question I was going to ask later, but do you feel that you, you were an athlete before all this occurred, right? So fitness has been part of your life. Yes, you do feel a little bit of pressure now. If this didn't happen to you, do you think you would still have the same discipline that you have today to be able to maintain health and fitness as part of your lifestyle and your routine while flying? Because I do know of a lot of athletes who, before they were pilots, they had that routine. And then after they became pilots, it's gone. So what do you, like you, you just mentioned that this condition has a, giving you this, the, looking at things on the bright side, right? It's giving you this discipline to stay motivated towards your health and fitness. But do you think if it, that didn't happen, would you still pursue it the same way? You know, knowing what I know now, yes. But knowing, you know, if I would have jumped into this as a 23, 24 year old, you know, into aviation, I don't know if I would have been as disciplined. I've always been a disciplined person and I've always been structured in my, my lifestyle in general. I think most pilots are, um, but you know, to say I, I would dedicate as much time as I do to fitness and exercise, I, I don't know, maybe I would do 60, 70% of what I do now, because it's always been a goal, you know, obviously, everybody wants to look good, feel good. Obviously, that's always, yes, it's, yeah. it's everyone's goal with this. But, um, but I, I think that this has really pushed me to another level, you know, to of, of health and fitness, I was never someone you know, I was 21, you know, when I was diagnosed, I, my fitness, to me was cardio playing soccer. That was how I got, you know, I was never a gym guy. I never went to, never went to the gym. It was never really part of my routine. And then when they told me that, Hey, this is what you need to do to control your blood sugars. I was in there five, six days a week, sometimes overdoing it because I was so motivated. And so, uh, uh, like I said, motivated to get my medical back. And so I think it's just become part of who I am and it's kind of molded me into who I am today. And again, I'll say this again, I wish I didn't have diabetes, but it also has played a part in molding me and who I am today and, and how disciplined and structured I am with my routine, my lifestyle, my, my goals and whatnot. It's, it's kind of, like I said, made me who I am. Yeah. What would you say is the 
most important thing you learned throughout that journey? Most important, I mean, you learn so much about yourself. It tests you to the limits. I mean, you, you, you recognize things about yourself that you didn't even know about yourself. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head right now, but just, you know, it pushes you to your limits. It really, it really tests you every day to be as good as you can be. It's not like, and I'm not discounting anybody else's illness or something, but it, diabetes, I can speak for because I live with it. And it's one of those things that you're reminded every five minutes of your life, I get a blood sugar reading, right? So you can't really walk away from it. Everything I eat, everything I, you know, sleep, exercise, um, diet, there's so many variables that come into the equation that, you know, that, that changes your life and, and, and you have to adapt to. So the biggest thing I learned is, is, you know, how, how disciplined I actually can be, you know, how, you know, before I thought, yes, I was disciplined, but that's nothing. 21 year old me had no idea what I was capable of today. Um, and you know, you just, you look at life in a different way. You see things in a different way. Um, you know, you start to value life a little bit differently and you start to see things in a different perspective. Now that you've had it taken away from you, um, your dreams have been crushed and taken away. And now you see things differently and it, it really makes you appreciate life a little bit more. Absolutely. I think that, you know, I, I was talking earlier this week about the difference between motivation and discipline and that motivation only gets you to some, to so, so far in an extent, you know, in, in how much effort you're going to put towards something, but it's the discipline that really gets you to those long-term results. And discipline has to come in order for you to obtain discipline. This is not a thing that you're just born with, right? You learn it throughout time, depending on your childhood and things that you have experienced. But in order to have discipline, if you ever want to continue with that or, or establish some sort of discipline, there needs to be a goal, just like how you set your own small goals that eventually lead to your bigger goals. Without setting that mindset of having a goal of what you want to achieve, there's not going to be a discipline. So everybody's always saying like, oh, you're so disciplined to bring your food. You're so disciplined to exercise. Well, there's, there's a motive behind that, right? And the motive behind that, it, to each person, it's, in, it's individually. For you, it's in the case of, 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 the, of, of your overcoming the condition that you have or, or being able to, to, to cope with it. And then for other people, it might be something different. So, you know, discipline is not something that's easily attained. You do have to go through rough times. You know, you, 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 could, you, you live through that. Everybody who has achieved greatness has gone through failures. You know, everybody who's, who's, be, who's able to inspire others has gone through those failing times, those dark times, and where they found themselves out and can now really show the world how, you know, how to get to that light a whole lot quicker. You know, and I think you, you, you show such a great example in, in not just in your story of being the first pilot to be a, have the first class medical with, with insulin, but just your, you, your own personality, you know, your discipline, your motive, your dedication to live out your dream has totally sparked the lives of so many, because now you're speaking at um, either conventions or conferences with with diabetes, right? You you just spoke at somewhere where where um, there were airlines that were hosted. Um, it was so the recent event that I spoke at was um in at Disney World. It was a uh, event that they do for kids with mm -hmm. diabetes. It's called literally the Children with Diabetes uh, event, um, and it's a national event. It's the biggest event for kids with diabetes. And I was invited to come out there and speak on behalf of my my glucose monitoring company. Um, and uh, they invited me to come out to speak to 600 parents of newly diagnosed kids, um, basically to hopefully share my story and give them hope that their child's life isn't limited simply because they have type one. And that's really what my goal is. And I think, you know, yes, I'm an airline pilot. And I love that. And, and I love doing what we do. But 
I, I am also more than that. And my goal in life is to dedicate my free time as much as my free time possible to helping others, you know, achieve their dreams, much like yourself, um, you know, via diabetes. And so if, if my goal isn't necessarily to inspire others to be pilots, you know, with diabetes. Um, I just want them to know, especially the kids to know that their life again is not limited because they have the setback and that they can achieve their goals, uh, whatever those goals are in life, they can do this. Hopefully they can use my story as an example. Yeah, that's, that's truly remarkable. And that's, that's really, really great. If, and, and I'm sure, you know, in the future too, you're going to be speaking at aviation conferences. And I'm sure one of the biggest things that upcoming pilots and pilots right now who may have this condition are going to ask you, how do you, what do you do for nutrition when you're on the road? What do you prep? What foods do you think do allow you to maintain a stable, you know, insulin level? And, and I would love to know what, what you do as part of your routine on the road. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, I like to, I like to meal prep much like yourself, um, proteins, mm -hmm. you know, higher fat foods. Um, I eat typically lower carb. Now diabetes can be done in, in, in many ways. There's no one given way. Some people like to eat higher carb and have success with it. I personally find it easier to eat a little bit on the lower carb side. Um, okay. and, uh, so I like to do, you know, vegetables and proteins like, you know, meat and fish and salmon and, um, chicken obviously, and, and just a variety of meats mixed with vegetables and I'll do like, I'll do okay. carbs, but I'll do brown rice and I'll have a controlled amount of brown rice with my meals. I buy these containers on Amazon. Um, and okay. I do, uh, like I said, I do meal prepping and, I'll, and instead of meal prepping each container, what I basically do is put them in Ziploc bags with, uh, with, nice. with ice. Yeah. And so I'll put the, you know, ice packs in my cooler as well. I've got a cooler similar to yours. Um, just the typical yeah. luggage works, you know, cooler. It's pretty big. And so I'm able to pack a good four days worth of food, um, at least six to eight meals worth. Um, and then I typically wow. buy uh, whatever's left over. Like if there's a day or two left over from that, I'll go and buy food. I mean, especially um, at the regional, sometimes we don't stay at, uh, you know, the most convenient of places, let's say, uh, to get healthy right. nutritional food. Um, and so having yeah. that for me is essential. People are always like, man, you have three bags when you, when you, why do you pack so much stuff? And it's like, I don't want to have to explain my story and explain that I have to eat healthy. Right. I don't really have a choice. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, I, I, I do that too, because, you know, eating healthy is essential to me, not just keeping my medical, but my long-term health goals, and fitness. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and also with that, it requires a lot of planning too, because, you know, let's say you, you don't want to run out of food at a layover where there's nothing around and you can't exactly. go to a, a grocery store. Right. So, so I'm sure you kind of take a look at your schedule right before you leave. And you'd say, okay, well, I'm going to plan on eating this these days. Right. There's a grocery store next to this hotel. So, yeah. you know, not only dis discipline comes with also like th that planning stage right. as well. And I think all these different factors come into play to be able to have a lifestyle in which you're taking care of your health, but also enjoying your, your, your layover life. You know, it, it can't always be super strict about, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do anything on this layover or I'm not going to eat out or anything. Yes, you, you, you could, but is it good to right. do it every single time? Because if you're, if you run out of food and now your only options are airport food, that it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, right? Yeah, it is. No, definitely. And that's not just the financial aspect of it, but the health aspect of it, obviously is more right. important. It's, it's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, sometimes captains will be like, Hey, let's go get this. Let's go get that. I'm like, no, totally. I'm up for it. And I'll go just to be, you know, yeah. to keep company. Um, but sometimes I'll eat before and they'll get there and they're like, you're not going to eat. And I'm like, ah, 
you know, I ate a little bit before I came and they know I'm usually, I tell them it's my, you're my, my right. captains, I'm diabetic. And so like the, for nutritional reasons, I, you know, I decided to eat before I got here, but I'll snack on something just to keep company. Right. But um, yeah, like you said, though, it takes a lot of planning and organization to know, I look at each one of my trips and now that I'm getting more familiar with the routes that we fly and the, and the, and the schedules mm-hmm. that we have, I know kind of what's around and I kind of save it in my phone and in my notes section of my phone of, Hey, this, this hotel has got these options for me nearby that I've had. Um, and so maybe I won't eat my meal prep on day two. I'll eat it on day three because day two has good options for me. That is right on, man. And I also want to bring out one of these. I don't, I don't know if you've mentioned it, but I know this because you told me this the other day. Um, the biggest excuse that I get for not meal prepping from a lot of people is that, oh, I'm a commuter. And, and you know what? Pietro oh, is yeah, a yeah. commuter <laughs> from Phoenix. So, yeah, there's really no excuse. Honestly, yeah. this guy does it does it well all he does is have his planning he has his discipline that's really really all it takes there's really not room for excuses um it's just really about how bad you want that lifestyle to be that's exactly it i think it's very important also that you mentioned going out with your crew as well because man sometimes it just depends or like psychologically these conditions may hit people differently right and and they may feel like they have to be sheltered that they can't go out and have some type of you know something out you know, and I'm glad you shared that to tell people that it's okay, you know, to go out. Like there are ways to do it. You, you ate a little bit of your meal prep before, and then you go out and you enjoy, enjoy some time with your crew. Um, but it's more, it's important to state and to bring out the fact that just because you, you're in an airline world and you have a condition does not mean you cannot spend time with your crew because you have to take care of your health in a certain way. You could still do both and you do it perfectly, man. Uh, I, I'm honestly, it's, it's very, it's very um, inspiring to, to, to be able to talk to Thank you, you. I appreciate and hear that. your story and hear everything. And, and I think just beyond your story, you as a person are a very, very inspirational person. And I think that it's, this is only the beginning on how many people you're going to impact in your career. And I'm glad that you mentioned that being a pilot is not your only identity because you have a gift in being able to motivate and inspire others. And, and I'm glad you're taking your gift in another way of your identity to, to have an impact in this world. Thank you. Seriously. That means a lot to me, man. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Pietro, thank you so much, man, for being on this show. I really enjoyed talking to you, getting to know you even more. Um, I'm sure we're going to see each other around in, in the airports at some point. If you're ever in Miami, please let me know. And if I'm ever in Phoenix, I'm definitely going to hit you up. Let's do some workouts or something, man. All right, let's do oh, that. That'd be great, man. I'd love that. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like I said, it was an honor to be here and uh, share my story. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, find me on Instagram or um, yeah, pretty much on Instagram is the easiest way to get me. If any of you have questions on the protocol or whatnot, um, I'd, I'd love to help anybody out that I can. I speak to you know dozens of people a week really uh, about this. And so I'm, I'm happy to share with anybody else if they want to get in more detail on kind of how what I do um, to, uh, to stay organized and, and, and do what I do. Or if you have any questions on getting, uh, certified, um, if you're listening to this and you're a type one diabetic or, or, or not, um, I'm happy to help anybody out. So excellent. reach out. I'd love to help you guys. That's amazing. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's, uh, you can search my name, um, or you can, uh, find me at fly type one, uh, and then the number one at the end. So just fly F L Y T Y P E uh, one. Amazing. And what about for the people who don't have Instagram? Can they reach out to you with like an email or something? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm happy to share that. Yeah, my 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 uh, my personal email is my last name, so Marsala M A R S A L A 1990 uh, at Gmail. 
Perfect. Thank you. I'm sure you're going to have a lot more people reaching out to you and you're going to change the life of so many others. Thank you, man, for being on this uh, on this show. A big thank you also to Dr. Duvall, who made who believed in you and, and made this happen. And um, thanks for being on here, man. And, and I'll see you soon. All right, Fernando. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Take care, guys.